You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speak Tell, we're going to talk about the upcoming election. And we're talking particularly about the evangelical Christians and how they're reacting to these candidates. You've got Senator Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, who is not been known as a uh, Christian, who is now saying he is a Christian. So we see this every four years. We get all kinds of promises, and kind of interesting. According to Cruz, in a address some 18 months ago, I think it was, he said, quote, in the last election, 54 million evangelical Christians stayed at home. Well, that doesn't seem quite right because according to a Pew poll, there are about 70% of Americans describe themselves as Christians, and among Christians, one in four say they are evangelical Protestants. So doing the math, if we've got about 350 million people here in the United States, that would be about 225 million people claiming to be Christians, and then a quarter of that would be 55 million. So we know they all didn't stay home, so people like to exaggerate on figures. And But it's been interesting now that Senator Cruz, who announced his running for president at Liberty University, which happens to be the largest Christian university in the world, I understand, 77,000 students. Now, I don't know if they're all on campus. Like a lot of colleges today, they have online, virtual students, if you will. Tom, if I may interrupt, we need to go back and talk about uh, this definition of what is an evangelical Christian, because we may have new listeners here who have never heard us before, and, and we want to also assert that we don't usually talk about politics. This is not a political discussion. This is a discussion of the action of the way Christians are acting and the things that they are listening to and what their impact actually is on our lives through our politics. This 55 million evangelical figure is far different from many Christian sects who call themselves evangelical, such as the evangelical Lutherans, evangelical Presbyterians, and and a lot of people within every uh, mainline group would would say they're evangelical and that they talk about uh, they talk about their, what they believe. Uh, that's what evangelicalism is supposed to be about: is talking about what you believe. But when uh, Mr. Cruz used this term, 55 million that Tommy equated out, this would be more along the lines of the dispensational evangelical Christians, those who basically would tend to fall into the ranks of Christian Zionists. And Jerry Falwell himself claimed years ago that there were as many as 40 million Christian Zionists. And then Pat Robertson and other leaders have come along and and claimed that the figure is much larger, that there's 60 or 70. They're probably a little imaginative when they talk about 60 or 70 million but it's a very large group of people, but the characteristic of that 55 million people 
is something that we've defined in our mission. And uh, we said that a Christian Zionist or a dispensational evangelical, if you would, or a follower of Cyrus I. Schofield, perhaps, that the definition of that is somebody who believes that the state of Israel is wrapped up in their religion and that the physical state of Israel is the fulfillment of God's prophecy. And this is basically the dividing thing, and probably most of those 55 million that that Cruz is talking about and that that, that Donald Trump is trying to get the vote for him uh, would fit into that category. They believe that there's something magical, mysterious, or godly about the state of Israel that puts it on a pedestal alongside of Jesus almost. So this is kind of the definition that we look for uh, when we talk about this subject. Well, one of the things that Senator Cruz, one of his planks, according to Right Wing Watch, is begin the process of moving the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. So he has been an ardent supporter of Israel. And, of course, Jerusalem is a divided city. Israel is doing everything in their power to remove the Palestinians from East Jerusalem. They're encroaching as we speak, if you will, building more settlements in Palestinian areas there. So that's one of the things. It's interesting, Chuck, that a lot of these evangelical Christians don't even know they're Christian Zionists, but they do have this deep love for Israel. Or they're influenced by people who do. Yes, exactly. For instance, in the Ted Cruz campaign, they mentioned one of the articles in the New York Times that David Barton, who's with Wall Builders, he's an evangelical, was, is a big supporter of Ted Cruz. Now, David Barton has spoken on John Hagee's Christians United for Israel events. So he's a dyed-in-the-wool Christian Zionist. So you're going to see many of these type of people that we would call evangelicals Christian Zionists one other feature I think is kind of universal with the evangelical Christians is that they're pro-life. They're against abortion. And Donald Trump has just recently become uh, supposedly anti-abortion, pro-life. But the interesting thing is we've pointed out in many of our podcasts, there's a real inconsistency with many of these evangelical Christians because on the one hand they say they're pro-life, they're against abortion, but they have no problem accepting the wars. They listen to people like John Hagee, who actually prays for war in the name of Jesus, which is contradictory to what Christianity is all about, what Jesus taught us. Blessed are the peacemakers. Love your neighbors as yourself. Even your enemy. So what are the characteristics, then, that we find that are leading church-going, God-fearing, we think, people, they think at least, to act out this political role where they get involved with the very people that are the most warlike. Uh, I suppose Trump would be the most war-friendly of the candidates. He just simply says, nuke them, bomb them, throw them out of the country, don't let them in. He's uh, tremendously racist in the things he talks about. And he's basically playing up to this Christian faction in being endorsed for president by uh, Jerry Falwell's son, who runs Liberty University, 
You just have to look at that and wonder, what are the characteristics of Donald Trump that would lead Jerry Falwell's son to endorse Donald Trump when Trump has this very checkered background of all kinds of things that uh, Christians normally would turn their backs on? If I may say something, interject something here? Absolutely. One, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last few years, actually, that support for Israel is evaporating among evangelical Christians, and especially among the younger set. And one thing that struck me about Donald Trump's speech at Liberty University, and I I watched the entire video of it yesterday, uh, it was about an hour and nine minutes long, not once was Israel mentioned, not in uh, Trump's speech and not in the rather lengthy introduction that uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. gave to Trump. There was no mention of Israel anywhere that evening, at least on the hour and nine minutes that that video ran. That is interesting, and of course, he was speaking to an audience of 20-year-olds, right? Well, basically, yeah. I mean, there were there there were kind of it was there were older people in the crowd, but you know, yeah, it was mostly a young college crowd. Mm-hmm. And you would think that a major presidential candidate going to speak at a university that is steeped in Christian Zionism, or at least its founder was steeped in Christian Zionism would uh, use that opportunity to play up his pro-Israel credentials, but Trump did not do that. That kind of points to what I alluded to earlier about what seems to be vanishing or dropping or or diminishing support for Israel amongst uh, the younger evangelicals. Very well taken, and of course, very encouraging. Exactly. Very encouraging, and we are looking for encouraging signs because we've been working for this for a long time, and and we sometimes have to be pointed out to us when change is taking place that we don't notice because we see the dark side. Uh, So, well, you know, I I think the vigils that you guys have doing, and my hat is off to you guys. The vigils that you guys have been doing have have been very important, and I think it's having an impact along with a lot of other things, certainly, and and not least of which would probably be Israel's barbaric behavior and treatment of the Palestinians. But all of it together is becoming the perfect storm, you might say, I think, for the Zionist state. And they clearly seem to be very, very worried right now about a lot of different things. They seem to be mad at almost the entire world. Israel is now involved in squabbles with Spain over the arrest warrants in the uh, attack on the uh, Gaza Freedom Flotilla. They're in a squabble with Sweden over the comments of the Swedish foreign minister, Margot Wallström. They're in a conflict now with Brazil because Brazil has refused to accept or recognize the Israeli ambassador. They're uh, in this ongoing conflict with all these, you know, academic organizations that are calling for a boycott. And all of it, I think it's, it's kind of coming together right now. 
Yeah, great observation. And I could add to that that we see the movement within certain mainline churches, which would not identify with evangelical, the kind of evangelicalism we're talking about. No, the, certainly. And, the you know, and, and the Methodists have been kind of at the forefront of that. Indeed. And the uh, PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church USA. Yes. And, of course, there have been smaller churches all along who have been the pro-peace churches who have just insisted that war is wrong and have, have always been there, like the Mennonites. Right. Uh, exactly. But their, their little influence is actually picking up uh, attention in a broader range. And these are the, are the mainline churches that uh, we kind of thought we'd given up on many years ago. They're the ones who are showing the best signs of it. And the characteristics of this hardline group of so-called of maybe 55 million, if, if that's really the number, is kind of borne out in the vigils that we've done where we found ourselves getting together and having our huddles before these vigils and afterwards and saying, who do we really want to try to appeal to? And in the last few years, we've found ourselves saying, ignore the people with the white hair. Let them walk by. Pay no attention to them. Single out the kids. They can't be too young to talk to. And uh, that's essentially what we've, what we've tried to do. And it's We've had a lot more fun doing that when we've started talking to the younger people. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, the younger ones are the Internet-savvy, the social media-savvy ones, much more so than than the older people are going to be. And I, I think the nature of Israel's brutality, particularly over the last two or three months since all of these, the intifada, the stabbing attacks and everything, and the extrajudicial killings, are taking place. All of this, it, the brutality of it is almost impossible to hide anymore, uh, particularly with younger people who have internet connections and are, are looking at this, you know, through a different perspective, I think, from their elders. Absolutely. So, how do we then uh, play this out? Well, obviously, we're not going to get very interested in the campaigns of these people. And it kind of comes down to what you've just said, Richard, that we need to focus ourselves on the people that, that are listening, that, that want to listen, and uh, that, that see, kind of see through the war rhetoric. The big characteristic that we can trace the Christian Zionist movement back to has been the creation of an enemy, a focused enemy. And in our last 20 years of work, of course, that focused enemy has been entirely Islamic. Yes. And this, of course, fits into Israel's image because Israel is totally anti-Islamic. But it's very easy to sell that because of the interest in Israel. And the Palestinians, of course, have, have been the goat in all of this. But we've seen this enemy. And as we think back on our older lives, we remember when there was another enemy. It was the Cold War enemy. We were fearful of being bombed by the communists almost every day, and Russia was the great threat to us. And then, of course, before that, well, it was the war against Germany and Japan, and uh, they were the enemy. And it goes back to the fact that our country has been focused on war. It's been dependent upon war, let us say, for a very long time. And the Christian Zionist movement has been just the latest element uh, that's been used, they've been the goats to help create the ongoing continuous war against Islam that has destroyed most of the Middle East by now and has created this incredible turmoil in the oil patch 
And in the economics of uh, this this blowing right back in our faces, as we look, we see, again, the new enemy has been shifted now to this mysterious ISIL machine, or ISIS. And Syria was mentioned here. I I, I heard an interesting United Nations broadcast today. They've been trying to get a peace treaty discussion together in the Hague or someplace, a UN peacekeeping mission to uh, settle the problems of Syria by negotiation, and they can't figure out who all the players are. They have so many different groups to try to uh, to deal with, uh, of which ISIL is the biggest and most powerful, but which are, there are many others that the UN is, is, is powerless to convene a meeting because they can't figure out who to invite. And uh, so this really goes back to the vilifying of Islam. And so we see this little pattern, and it comes around to Liberty University, and and of course Donald Trump then shouting, uh, "I will prevent any Muslims from getting into the country." Mm-hmm. Uh, so here we have the circle uh, going around and round. That's one of the disturbing things about Donald Trump, certainly, because I mean I think what we're seeing now is a deliberate attempt to ignite a clash of civilizations, if you want to call it that, uh, a conflict between Christians and Muslims. And Donald Trump certainly is, is, is playing into that, and that's one of the disturbing aspects about Donald Trump. I am kind of ambivalent about Donald Trump. Uh, on the one hand, the Republican political establishment and the mainstream media absolutely, totally abhor him and despise him. So to me, that's that's a point in his favor. But he does play into a lot of this antagonism, this attempt to uh, start a, a, a kind of a war of civilizations here with some of his rhetoric. Seems that he's willing to do that if necessary. And he, and he has referred to Iran as a terror state. Yeah. One thing we do have to remember, I, I want to quote Ron Paul's quote here. We've talked about this before. We didn't talk about the Democrats today, but Ron Paul said, quote, both parties are war parties. Let's face it, the military-industrial complex controls both parties. So regardless of who wins, we get all this hoopla during the running for office every four years, and we can get cited about this candidate or that, but the establishment, uh, what now Chuck calls the United States unelected supra-government, really calls the shots. We've had serial wars since after World War II, so we've been at war basically that whole time around the world with over 800 military bases all over the the universe. And so many times these Christians forget their principles. They hear these things they like, protect our borders or what have you, and forget what Jesus has taught us, blessed are the peacemakers. So many times the moral issues don't always play that well, although there is some contention to get more of these evangelical votes, and that's what we're seeing in Cruz campaign and the Trump campaign and so forth. Yeah, well, not only that, but, you know, we also have Jesus saying it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven, and then we have Donald Trump appearing at this uh, uh, <laughs> supposedly Christian university 
uh, and they're rolling out the red carpet for him. <laughs> Glenn, do you have any comments? I do. I have a, a big perspective on going on about porting of Israel is because there's a lot of deception of what re- Israel really is. You know, apparently only 10% of Israel is really true Jews that follow the Jewish religion. The rest of them are pretty much secular people, and the, the real Jews are second-class citizens. And a lot of Christians, I believe this myself, was that a long time ago, is that people living in Israel are true Israelites, but they're not. You know, they're mostly secularists. But the people who run Israel, who are among the secularists, they want to take advantage of the fact that Israel is supposedly God's people, and uh, they milk that to every degree. But all the Christians are deceived by what Israel really is, and that, that's what propagates a lot of this support for Israel, is deception. Well, that's exactly right. And, and, and in fact, uh, that's what St. Paul said in, I believe it's the second chapter of Second Thessalonians, where he talked about there would be a massive deception. And certainly the establishment of the modern-day state of Israel uh, in 1948 has been a massive deception for people. Yeah, great point. Uh, I'd like to jump in on just the Christian politics. It's pretty much uh, an established fact that nobody gets to even run for office unless they've got the stamp of approval of the the Zionist organizations in this country. Uh, I'm reminded of Pat Buchanan when he said American foreign policy should be decided in Washington, not Tel Aviv, and that was that was the end of his candidacy. So when it comes to either you know Cruz, Rubio, Trump, or any of these guys, you know, by their fruits you shall know them. A lot of these guys, I think, are going to say what they need to say get into office. That's the nature of politics. And it's only going to be after we see who gets in there what their true stripes really are. I look at Ted Cruz, his wife Heidi Cruz, the Council on Foreign Relations, if we did a Goldman Sachs or one of those big finance or JP Morgan I guess it is. Oh, uh, it's Goldman Sachs. Yeah, total establishment uh candidate. Well, so we know where he's coming from. To me Trump is the the wild card like you you're saying, Richard, it's kind of like I'm kind of ambivalent toward him. But at the same time, I'm kind of looking, like, okay, well, he's definitely not in the establishment camp, and he's not touting the whole Zionist line, even though he does have some strong Jewish connections. He's also a deal maker. So it, it, let's say if he went all the way, he would certainly be able to make deals. That was evident from the first uh, Republican debate where they chastised him for donating money to Hillary Clinton, and uh, he said well, he does it because he expects favors. He does it for everybody. So yeah. kind of exposed the, the nature of politics. Here. Let me just interject one thing that, that uh, Richard reminded me of. Uh, he said uh, a little while ago that Israel is uh, losing its friends very fast, and is, 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 its relationships are crumbling. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's having trouble all over the world with people who are challenging it, including the, uh, the, the academics and so on. And Israel has recently picked up strange new bed partners. Israel is now trying to, to arrange diplomatic relations with the country that we thought all along was the one who is sponsoring ISIL, and that is Saudi Arabia. And isn't it strange, the state of Israel can't get along with its European friends or any of these groups, but it's now uh, trying to set up diplomatic relations with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, 
the most vile and vicious of all the Islamic states, I guess, the only practicer of Wahhabism. Yeah, uh, where the, the whole Takfiri Wahhabi ideology got started was in Saudi right. Arabia, and now Israel's making nice, nice with Saudi Arabia. Yeah, you can see. Isn't that interesting? You, you've seen that picture, I'm sure. It's been widely circulated on the Internet of uh, Netanyahu and Moshe Yalon visiting the al-Nusra terrorist in the Israeli hospital. Huh. I mean, it's kind of an iconic picture, and yeah. it, it speaks volumes. And there have been the U.N. released some documents a while back showing that uh, Israel was, was having some kind of interplay or exchange between the terrorists at the border with the Golan Heights. Uh, Richard, something else that you brought to mind is when you said that you'd watched Donald Trump speak for an hour at Liberty University, he never once mentioned Israel. This is really straws in the wind. Trump is noted to be a poll watcher. Uh, he worships polls. He believes that you function politically based on what polls tell you people are thinking and want to think. And what he's telling you when he doesn't mention the state of Israel is just what we've, we've just alluded to. He senses this very thing that Israel is losing its friends very fast, and he's not too sure how far he wants to go to throw his foot into that camp. Is that I think so, and I think he probably realizes that whatever he says on the subject, he's going to alienate lots of people because mm -hmm. it's a very divisive issue. And, and Trump has his counterpart in Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders doesn't talk about Israel either. <laughs> right. Well, thanks, everybody, for your input. We're not going to tell you how to vote, ladies and gentlemen, but personally, myself, I vote third party just as a way of protest to the establishment's choice that we're going to get. Establishment A or B, both are war parties. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.